Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. The preceding verses, he is dealing with the temptation to live under rules and regulations instead of the Lordship of Christ. There are well-meaning people that will seek to impose their religion rather than the Bible on others. It's called uh, personal convictions or culture. I was raised in the mission field, and the missionaries before us, bless their hearts, pioneers, tried to make American Christians out of the native Christians in West Africa. They took their drums away from them and said, you use these to worship Satan, and they did. They didn't call him some strange name. They called him the devil. They worshiped the devil. Their religion was called the Devil Bush Society. They said, you use these drums to worship the devil. You cannot use them to worship God. Here's an accordion. <laughs> and here's, here's a guitar. Now, in our culture, we have a 12-note scale, right? You know, the, the notes on a piano from C to C is 12 notes, or 13 if you want to count of both Cs. Well, there, they don't necessarily have 12. They may have 7 or 8. So giving them a, an accordion and a guitar and expecting them to keep it in tune and teaching them to sing church songs creates very strange sounds. Very strange sounds. Now, other countries, missionaries got there later. They learned some things. Hey, don't, don't transcend the culture. Drums aren't evil in themselves. And their music was much better. But man, the bass where we were, there was a student on that bass that now lives in Fort Worth. He's Dr. John David, has his Ph.D. in education. And he has a congregation that he serves on Sunday afternoon, so he hadn't been able to come on Sunday morning. But I'll have him come sometime and sing one of the songs they sang then. They certainly did enjoy it, and nobody enjoys it. It creates a monstrosity. So it is in the Christian faith. When you come to Christ, you come as you are in your culture with sin, right? And Jesus came and showed us how to live, told us how to live. But somehow, people with their religious ideas will add to that. And Christ came and confronted that. The law about keeping the Sabbath became a real complicated thing where you couldn't do anything. And to this day, there's still people that attempt to practice the Sabbath that way. Somebody burned their apartment building down, I think, a couple of weeks ago because they wouldn't turn the hot plate off. It was a Sabbath. I mean, that's just stupid. So in the context of that, Paul's talking about that kind of thing. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Get your eyes off of what's evil on what's good. Reminded that song from the 40s, you got to accentuate the positive to eliminate the negative. You focus on the negativity and the evilness in the world is just going to bring you down, bring you depressed, and make you hard to get along with and take your joy away. But here he says, if then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above. Did you know you are raised with Christ? That's our topic today. You are risen with Christ. Can we say that? You are risen with Christ. 
If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When did we die? When he died. I'll explain that in a minute. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ came as our representative. And he came as heaven's representative. God manifest in the flesh. The divine man. Something that had never been before. Born in Bethlehem as a baby. Grew up as a human. And showed us how to live. And even though he was God, he laid aside his divine powers and died a wicked death on a cruel cross for us. He died for us as us. He represented us. The Bible says he became sin for us and nailed it to the cross. All the charges against us were nailed to the cross with him. He didn't deserve it, but he did it as our representative. Just like we sent an ambassador to another country, whoever that is, that person is our representative in that land. He's representing or she's representing the American people. Now, if they screw up, they lose their position, they cease to represent us. Well, Christ never screwed up. We now represent him. We screw up sometimes, but thank God he died for our sins on the cross. Amen? We're so glad for the cross. So as us, he died. So in him, we died positionally. Positionally, we have been punished for our sins in Christ. So if you've been forgiven of your sins, what are you doing living under the shadow of regret and beating yourself up for your sin? You may have scars. You certainly may have wished things had gone better. But it is what it is. Now, what is the future? Set your mind on things above. Christ died for your sins and chose to not remember them anymore. In fact, the Bible says he removes our iniquities from us, our transgressions from us, as far as the east is from the west. You can't measure that. Aren't you glad he didn't say as far as the north is from the south? About 12,500 miles away from here, your sins are there. But our sins are still being removed from us. Aren't you glad? God is good. Lord, I ask you to speak to us today from your word. Help us to glean what ours is to learn today and be reminded of the things we already know. Amen. You are risen with Christ. How is this possible? What is this based on? Number one, it's based on Christ dying for us and rising from the dead. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. Now Christ is risen from the dead. He's no longer dying. He already did that once for all time. We'll see that in a minute. But now he's risen from the dead. This is the basis of our rising. He died and is risen. The evidence for his resurrection, there's eight really strong points. One is his enemies. You may think his enemies, how would that be evidence of the resurrection? Well, the enemies made sure he was dead. You know, if there's a fake death, then a resurrection wouldn't mean anything, right? But his enemies wanted to end his life. 
So professional executioners killed him. They made sure he was dead. Can we say dead? dead. Killed until dead. In our judicial system, when they practice hanging, a person was hung or hanged until dead. So his enemies made sure he was dead. They also made sure there was no fake resurrections because he had predicted his resurrection. They not only wanted to kill him, they wanted to kill his influence. They wanted to destroy his following. So they took extra measures by posting a guard 24-7, actually turned out to be 24-3, to make sure there was no fake resurrections. They wanted to end Jesus and the Jesus people and the Jesus movement. They didn't want there to be Jesus music and all this stuff we have today. They wanted it to be over, dead already, finished already. So his enemies made sure that the crime scene was not contaminated. Put a seal on that stone, making it a crime to open the tomb. But hallelujah, three days later, the stone was rolled away. Not so he could get out. He had a glorified eternal body and still does. He could get out. The stone was rolled away so we could get in. Right? That's the other witness, the empty tomb. Where did the body go? It's gone. The tomb is empty. You can go see it. Read everything about the tomb in the Gospels, and it lines up with this place in Jerusalem. Just a short walk close to Golgotha where he was crucified. There's the evidence of the eyewitnesses. 500 people at one time saw him. For 40 days, he revealed himself as alive before ascending back to the Father, promising to return one day just like he left. These eyewitnesses not only had credible testimonies, but they faced death for their testimonies. Before the resurrection, they were cowering, fearful cowards. What transformed them, made them fearless, and face death, even torture, and tortureth death, the resurrection. Chuck Colson was part of the leaders around Richard Nixon. And when he got in trouble with the Watergate scandal, Chuck did some prison time. And while being there, he became a believer because of the resurrection. He wrote... When I am challenged on the resurrection, my answer is always that the disciples and 500 others gave eyewitness accounts of seeing Jesus risen from the tomb. And when I'm asked, how do you know they were telling the truth? Maybe they were perpetrating a hoax. My answer to that comes from an unlikely source, Watergate. Watergate involved a conspiracy involving the closest aides to the president of the United States, the most powerful men in America, who were intensely loyal to their president, Richard Nixon. But one of them, John Dean, turned state's evidence, that is, testified against Nixon, as he put it, to save his own skin. And he did so only after two weeks of informing the president about what was really going on. In two weeks, the cover-up couldn't hold. In two weeks, the cover-up began to fall apart. And everybody else jumped ship in order to save themselves. Now, the fact is that all those around the president were facing embarrassment, maybe an end to their political career. 
maybe prison, as in my state. But nobody's life was at stake. Now, what about the disciples? The 11 powerless men, peasants really, they were not just facing embarrassment or an end to a political career that never was, but beatings, stonings, torture, execution. Every single one of the disciples insisted to their dying breaths that they had seen Jesus physically raised from the dead. Don't you think that one of these apostles would have cracked before being beheaded or stoned? That one of them would have made a deal with the authorities, a plea bargain, but none did. Men will give their lives for something they know to be true, but they will never give their lives for something they know to be false. The Watergate cover-up reveals the true nature of humanity. Even the most political zealots at the pinnacle of their power will, in the crunch, save their own necks even at the expense of the ones they profess to serve so loyally. The apostles could not, would not, and did not deny Jesus. Can we say eyewitnesses? There's the evidence of his engaged family. You know, you can fool everybody but your relatives. Right? Anybody remember Jimmy Carter? Anybody remember Billy Beer? Anybody drink some Billy Beer? Anybody remember Bill Clinton? Remember his brother? There's all these relatives on the sidelines that they're not as big a fans as everybody is necessarily. But after the resurrection, Christ's family that kind of followed him from a distance, check on him, became fully devoted followers. Two of them wrote books in the New Testament. One of them was thrown off the temple because he wouldn't recant his faith in the resurrection and died by being stoned until dead, testifying while he's dying to his faith in his brother. I believe in the resurrection because of evidence. There's the enduring results. You're in a room full of people because of the resurrection. It has been going on since 10 days after his ascension, when the church was born, just a short walk from the empty tomb. People have become believers because of the resurrection, the amazing story that engraved History. What year is it? 2015 A.D. That does not mean after death. That means Anno Domini or Anno Domini. Two Latin words. Anno's related to time. We get the word annual related to the word anno. Domini or dominoes related to the word dominate. It means authority. It means lordship. 2015 A.D. means it's been 2,015 years under the lordship of Christ. That's what it means. Now, some historians say Christ was actually born 3 B.C., but that's, that's funny. The point is we measure time from his life because of the resurrection before and after. And they may try to change the history books to have BCE, before Common Era, and CE, Common Era, afterwards, or ACE, after the Common Era. But the measuring line is still related to Jesus because of the resurrection. History has been permanently engraved. Talk about a tattoo that won't go away. 
the enraged opposition that still has gone on for centuries and still is going on in our day. And we're starting to see some of it on YouTube. It's not some new thing. It's just now getting filmed and broadcast in ways that they didn't do before. Shamefully. Why the opposition? Because of the resurrection. Islam teaches Christ never died. So the resurrection story is an offense to them. So you lose your head because you believe in the resurrection. You can tell the character of a religion by the fruit that it produces. Christians are not slaughtering people. The point is, the resurrection happened and it makes the devil mad. And the anti-Christian forces in the world will come against you strongly if you speak ill of Buddha or Muhammad, but don't you dare speak favorably of Jesus in the press. You can criticize Jesus all you want. They don't mind that. His enemies are enraged. Why do the heathen rage? Resurrection. Number two, we're risen with Christ is based on the fact that we were dead in sins. To be risen has to mean you needed to be risen, right? We were dead in sins while living in sin. Ephesians 2 talks about us who were dead in trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13 says, you being dead in your trespasses. We were dead in sin. We are risen with Christ based on the fact that Jesus died to sin while dying for our sin. Romans 6.10 says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. When he said it is finished, he meant it. The payment for humankind's Sins was paid once for all. He died for our sin. He died to sin once and for all, and he died for our sin. So we can be raised up not having to die for our sins. They've already been died for. For you to die for your sins is double jeopardy. Justice has already been served. Number four, Christ died for us while we were sinners. God's love is demonstrated by this. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Number five, Christ died for us so we could live for him. This is why we've been raised up. We've been raised up to live. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Now we're no longer dead in trespasses and sin so we can live the resurrected life in him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all that those who live should live no longer, can we say no longer, for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. In Christ we died. In Christ our substitute took our place and died and paid our fine, paid, uh, took our punishment upon himself so we could live. To sin again? No. For him. How are we risen with Christ? His resurrection was for our justification. Now he died for our sins. He arose not for our sins, but he arose for our justification. Sin is injustifiable. You cannot justify sin. But Christ justifies sinners. So he died to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead to make sure justice is carried out. That one is mine. 
She is redeemed. He has been justified. They are being glorified. Leave them alone. The resurrected Savior has your back. A lot can happen in three days. From a glorious crown to a glorious crown. Number seven, the resurrection made us alive with him. If he died as our substitute, as our representative, he arose as our representative. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together. Can we say together? With Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. Can we say together? This has been done for us. Now how can one representative do all this for us? One man, the first man, sinned, separating us and his descendants from God. So by the act of one man, many were made sinners. You see that? Well, that's just not fair. But that's the way it is. Husbands, if you quit your job, who's going to suffer? Your family. Right? That's not fair. Dad quit his job. It's not fair we're getting evicted. Dad quit his job. It's not fair that we're suffering. That's just the way it is, though. There are consequences that affect, this is, this is the nature of sin. It affects more people than just yourself. I ought to be able to do whatever I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, put your thinking cap on. Sin hurts. It spreads diseases and rips off generations. And so through one guy's screw-up, we all were messed up. So that being a fact of history, the first Adam messed us up. The last Adam, the Bible calls him the last Adam, fixed us up. Through his perfect life, we can be redeemed from Adam's imperfect life and be forgiven. And so through faith in him, we can arise from the beggarly elements of our family tree because of the one who died on the curse tree taking our curse for us. Number eight, we arose with him from our death in sin. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, You he made alive who were dead. Can we say were dead? In trespasses and sin. This is past tense. We were dead, but he has made us alive. Colossians 2.13, and you, being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him. So we were in our sinful state as a descendant of Adam who was told, the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. And even though he didn't die physically, spiritually, he got cut off from his life, of spiritual life, from his father. Cut off because of sin. Sin separates us from God, from one another. And so we're born separated from God. It doesn't show up for a while, but give it some time, and you'll see Junior is pretty evil. 
Not my little angel. Well, let's give it some time. It'll show up. We're descendants of a rebellious one, Adam. But through Christ, through faith in him, we're given a new start. We're born again. We are given a new position. We are raised from the old position to the new one. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And he's forgiven us all trespasses. Number nine, you're risen with Christ because we were raised up for higher purposes. We just read this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. You're raised with Christ for higher purposes. And finally, his resurrection assures us of our eternal resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15:20 Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first man to conquer death permanently, eternally, to receive the glorified body. He is the first one. And through faith in him we have the assurance that we'll be fruit. He's the seed, we are his fruit. So we have assurance of our eternal resurrection through faith in Christ. Now, we are people of faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So through faith, we are already risen with Christ. You may not see it yet, but give it some time. You begin to see the fruit of it in our lives because we're setting our minds on higher things. Amen. That in itself will have an impact on your life, will elevate you above the beggarly elements of this world. But one day, that faith is going to be fulfilled in the promise in which we believe. Faith that God gives fulfills what it promises. Faith is a gift from God. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit that comes from the Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit that comes from the Spirit. By grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. So saving faith comes from God. And this faith that he gives us believes in a future resurrection. Even though we may die, that faith never dies because it's an attribute of God. And God is eternal. His nature is eternal. And all of his gifts, attributes, and fruits are eternal. So the faith that you have never dies. Elisha in faith, asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit when Elijah was taken up from him. Elisha died, some theologians say, one miracle short of doubling the mighty feats that Elijah accomplished. Sometime later, there's a young soldier killed in battle. They throw him in somebody's tomb. Just happens to be Elisha's tomb. He lands on Elisha's bones and was resurrected back to life. Elisha's faith was fulfilled. Our faith is going to be fulfilled. So we are already resurrected with Christ. Hallelujah. And even though we may die, yet shall we live. Amen. You are risen with Christ. In what ways are we risen with Christ? Through his death, we are freed from our death sentence. Through his life, we're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. Through his resurrection, we have been justified. Through his cross, our execution has been stayed. 
Through his sacrifice, our lives are totally redeemed. Through his substitution, we are crucified and we are resurrected. Through his victory over death, our fear of it is no more. Through his arising, we have been raised up to set our minds on things above. Through his spirit, our lives are quickened to do his will. And through his being made our first fruits, I know we are next. Tell somebody you're next. You are risen with Christ. Tony Campolo writes, I went to my first black funeral when I was 16 years old. He's a college professor in Pennsylvania. A friend of mine, Clarence, had died. The pastor was incredible. From the pulpit, he talked about the resurrection in beautiful terms. He came down from the pulpit, went to the family, and comforted them. From the 14th chapter of John, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, said Jesus. Clarence has gone to heavenly mansions. Then for the last 20 minutes of the sermon, he actually preached to the open casket. Now that's drama. He yelled at the corpse, Clarence, Clarence. He said it with such authority. I would not have been surprised if there had not been an answer. He said, Clarence. There were a lot of things we should have said to you, but we never said them. You got away too fast. Clarence, you got away too fast. He went down this litany of beautiful things that Clarence had done for people. When he finished, he said, that's it, Clarence. There's nothing more to say. When there's nothing more to say, there's only one thing to say. Good night. Good night, Clarence. And he grabbed the lid of the casket and slammed it shut. Boom! Good night, Clarence. Shock waves went over the congregation. The preacher then lifted his head. You could see there was a smile on his face. He said, Good night, Clarence. Good night. But I know that God is going to give you good morning, Clarence. Good morning. The choir stood and started singing on that great getting up morning. Fare thee well, fare thee well. We were dancing in the aisles and hugging each other. And I knew the joy of the Lord, a joy that in the face of death, laughs and sings and dances. Because there is no sting to death. We're already risen in Christ. My Savior.